0: Our reading this morning is Hebrews chapter 1, verses 4 to 14. At Village, the Bible is central to everything we do. The Bible is God's primary way of speaking to his people, and it shapes everything we believe and everything we do. The Bible is God's word, his gift to us, the church. Because of this, after I've finished reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and we will all respond together, thanks be to God. So let's hear the Lord speak to us this morning from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 4 to 14. Having become as much superior to angels, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says... Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Pete.
1: Cool. Right. Um, good morning. My name is Thomas. Uh, I am. Uh, I'm so happy to be with you this morning. I'm one of the elders uh, in uh, in this church in village. I'm not on staff, so I don't get the, the, the privilege and the pleasure of of preaching very often. Um, but it's uh, a and, and my wee family. We worship over in East, so it's a joy to to be with you. And before we get stuck into this, I thought I'd give you a quick update on um, on the uh, the process of us hiring a new pastor over in East. Obviously, Lucas and Sue and the family left, and uh, we're in the process of finding someone new. That process is going well. Um, we're narrowing down candidates, uh, having conversations, and um, we're being thorough and um, unapologetically, so I think it's incredibly important to make sure we're diligent in this process. Um, protecting unity is so important uh, to the church, um, particularly uh, in leadership, and so we want to ask you to continue to pray for us, pray for wisdom, pray for discernment um, as we try to work this um, really important part of, our, of this chapter in our, in our life out, so um, yeah, keep praying for us. So, uh, as you know, we are uh, we started this new series in Hebrews. Um, we really encourage you to get one of these one of these scripture journals, helpful to kind of keep notes. Um. Because what we'll find is, as we go through this, it's incredibly rich. There is a lot to be drawn out, and it's helpful to make notes every now and then. Um, so if you want, um, you can go to the back and get one. There's also uh, just normal Bibles at the back. If you don't have a Bible and you want to have something, you don't want to have to like, flick through a Bible app on your phone, feel free to grab one at the back. Uh, like Andrew said last week, or should have said, um, the, there is a considerable degree of ignorance when it comes to this book, we don't know who wrote it, Um, we don't know to whom it was written, we don't know to where it was written, Um, we don't know uh, where it was sent, Uh, we don't know where it was written, and um, we don't know when, like there's just so much we don't know about it, which is uh, unusual for so many um, of, uh, that's not the case for so many of the books of the Bibles, but despite all of that, despite not knowing a whole lot about it, it's still God's word, and according to the Apostle Paul, um, it's breathed out by God. It's uh, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that we may be complete and equipped for every good work. Um, so we don't know a lot, but we, we know it's God's word. And there are one or two things we can pick up, um, as you will have picked up the author is trying to make the case and uh, does so pretty convincingly that Jesus Christ is superior to the angels. Um, or as I said earlier, and I will say again, as my poorly mistyped notes say, Jesus Christ is superior to the angels. Um, we, it's, I don't think I've got a hard job this morning convincing you that Jesus is better than the angels. I, I reckon that's probably settled for the majority of you if it's not i'm really glad you're here and i hope this can like convince you pretty well um what we do suspect is that that this could have been a problem in the context that was written were angels being worshipped or, or or elevated to a status uh, close to Christ's or above that we don't know was was this written in a context um like much of the early church, which was suffering? Was there a degree of persecution and budging on the idea of Jesus being superior to the angels? Could, could that have been a societal pressure, possibly? Um, it's speculation. Um, but w- what we need to know is just that Jesus is better than angels, okay? And despite that not being necessarily a big hurdle for us, um, there's a ch- chance that that might be the case because maybe we don't actually have a full, under- even a-, a reasonable understanding of what angels are. Um, Like a lot of things, there's a tendency, um, a subtle tendency we have to pay attention to um, what culture is saying about something rather than what the Bible says, and that's true of a lot of issues, and it's particularly true of angels. Uh, If you've ever seen an image of an angel, like like a cartoon, a drawing, um there's a chance it might have looked something like this if you if you google if you looked on google images for an angel they look pretty serene uh pretty chill uh not that certainly not threatening cute you know like pinchable cheeks sometimes like small babies um pretty do- docile and maybe like look a por- porcelain i right? am um, typically whenever we find angel- angelic encounters in the bible um they don't the image they conjure don't really line up with these a whole lot, and maybe we'll see that as um, as we go through this next bit. Because I thought it might have been maybe a little bit helpful to go through like a crash course in angels, angelology. Apparently, that's a word that I, I learned this week. That's a thing. Um, so um, um, as we go through that, um, let's uh, let's first of all take the angel off the screen. Otherwise, people will just look at his lovely face for a while. Um, let's just go through a. a brief gist of how the Bible talks about angels, okay? Um, so that we're getting our authority from Scripture and not from culture or from strange images on Google. So uh, angels appear in 34 of the, 30, of the 66 books of the Bible, okay? Um, 165 times in the New Testament, 108 times in the Old Testament. So 275 appearances in Scripture is pretty significant, isn't it? Uh, angels like you and I were created in a point of time. They aren't eternal. Um, they seem to be immortal, but they had—they were created. Um, they were each a direct creation from God. Uh, there's no there's no mommy angel and a daddy angel to make baby angels. That's that's not how this works. They don't procreate. Uh, they're all made by God. Um, when, likely sometime before Genesis one, uh, we read in the book of Job that. Uh, They rejoiced in the reality of God's creation. What are they like? Well, um, when we read of them, we read they're intelligent and smart, um, but they aren't all-knowing, okay? Or uh, they aren't omniscient. They don't know all things that belongs to God. We read that they have emotion. We read they rejoice when one sinner repents, uh, they are spirit beings, they imita- are immaterial, they're, they're not flesh and blood like us, but, they, but in scripture we read plenty of times that they do appear in the form of humans. Sometimes they appear in dreams and visions, sometimes to the naked eye. At the end of this passage itself, it says they're ministering spirits, but despite being spirits, that, that doesn't mean that they can be all places at all times, they aren't omnipresent. Again, that's just for gods. They are restricted to one place at one time. Uh, regardless of the form that they might assume, uh, almost without exception, when encountered, there are one or two, but almost without exception, when encountered, people were scared witless. Um, there's going to be a degree of. Uh, of mental and emotional agitation as you read through people's encounters with angels. There's fear, there's loss of composure. Sometimes people just straight up fell down unconscious in the presence of, of angels. And um, the, 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 again, I come back to what culture teaches us. Sometimes I think we maybe think that angels look like those images, whereas when we read through scripture, we see that there's there's more substance than that. Fear not. Is the words that come out of angels' mouths quite a lot on first encounters? So they're not omnipresent; they aren't all places at once. At once, they're not omniscient; they 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 don't know all things, uh, and they're not omnipotent; they don't they're not all powerful. But they are empowered by God to do incredible things. So uh, angels were were it was angels who were appointed to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, we read in 2 Kings that one angel destroyed 185,000 Assyrians, which brings up all sorts of questions that we don't have time to get into this morning. In the New Testament, in, in Matthew 28, an angel moved the stone away from the tomb of Jesus. In Acts 12, an angel facilitated Peter's release from prison. Later in that same chapter, uh, an angel killed Herod in a pretty gruesome way. It involves worms. You can read that as your... It's your pleasure. Uh, in Revelation, we read even angels even have the power to affect weather patterns and nature, so they're pretty powerful. I hope that image is is being communicated. Uh, there seems to be two kinds of angels. There are uh, the what we call holy and elect angels. Uh, those who are doing God's will. Uh, and then there seems to be at some point a rebellion and a bunch of angels were cast out from God's presence and we call those fallen wicked angels, demons, okay? There doesn't seem to be any indication in scripture that they come back to God. There's no redemption, there's no reconciliation or adoption whenever we read of uh, the, of uh, demons in scripture. Um, we'll keep going. I know there's probably lots of questions. We can answer those at a later time. Um, so Feel free just to note those down and we can talk another time. Uh, how many are there don't know probably a lot we read myriads a myriad is ten thousand, so lots but they are a fixed number okay so they're limited in that sense then what about what do they do so i'm getting into some interesting questions well the role seems to be worship and praise and fulfilling god's purposes through obedience to his will um, we obviously don't know what God's will is, so we don't necessarily know what angels are up to at any given moment. But we know that they're 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 given for guidance and direction for God's people. So that's your crash course in angels. I hope you feel now uh, like you got a bit of a grasp on some of these things. So, uh, the gist being they're incredibly powerful beings. But despite this power, despite like their like supernatural excellences, the, the, their significance dwindles in the presence of Christ, and that's our theme for this morning. That's what the author is trying to communicate. And as we get into the scripture, um, the, the the author begins with a thesis statement, okay, a theme, like an overarching assertion, and then he demonstrates that, he proves that by citing seven Old Testament texts. Um. So as we go through these, um, feel free to take a note of the scriptures. We're not going to read all of the ones that he's citing. We'll read them as they appear in Hebrews. Um, but it's, it's just to be aware of the richness of this text. It was commonplace for biblical, for, for writers. In, in, in the, we read that the, the writers in the New Testament citing Old Testament authors time and time again, pointing towards Jesus. Okay, So let's, uh, let's really jump into it. Lord, help us as we go. So as we go through, uh, we're going to look at five superiorities, five ways Jesus is superior to angels. And the first piece that we're presented with in verse four and five, Christ is superior because he has a superior name. Verse four, uh, uh, he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Or to which of the angels did God ever say, you're my son, today I have begotten you? The name is more excellent than theirs. What does that mean? As we go through this, I'm gonna try and unpack. Sometimes biblical language is tricky. and takes just a little bit of unpacking to, to understand what's going on. So if you're, if you're new to faith, you're, you're so welcome. If you're if, just maybe not as comfortable or confident with biblical language, we'll take our time trying to go through it and, and unpack it, Um. So the name is more excellent. Well, what is, this, is it the name, what is the name? Is it Jesus? Well, the answer we see in verse 2 and verse 5, the name given to Jesus is Son. Okay, Jesus, to be clear, Jesus has always had this name, okay, from all eternity, and that's the name that he will always keep. No angel has ever been called son. Sometimes they were referred to as a group, as, as sons of God, in a, as a group, but, but not the title son that was reserved for Jesus. D- did that happen at a particular point? Well, well, let's have a flick to Romans 1. If you can turn with me, look, turn to Romans 1. Starting in verse, um, ah, no, let's just read Romans 1. So, uh, by his resurrection from the dead. So when did he get that name? He got that name at the resurrection. When Jesus was, uh, rose from the dead, when he ascended to be at the Father's side, he was given this name. But just to clear up, he, he wasn't given the name Son of God at that moment. Like I said, for all of eternity, Jesus has been Son. Let's just note exactly what Paul is saying here in his letter to the Romans. He's not saying that he was he was declared or in other translations marked out, appointed to be son of God, but he was declared, marked out, or appointed to be son of God in power. Power, power. The point being, Jesus been son for all of eternity. He was the son of God on earth, but in he was the son of God in humiliation, in suffering, in weakness. And then he transitioned to Son of God in power at a particular point in history. At his resurrection and ascension. And it's that moment that God publicly, globally, universally declares that Jesus, despite being Son of God, despite being his Son in lowliness, in humility, in suffering in his earthly life, he was in fact the unique Son of God in power worthy of all praise and adoration. Does that make sense? That transition, Jesus becomes Son of God in power at the resurrection. And so the writer of this text in Hebrews establishes this. Uh, establishes that Jesus is God's Son, that He that is His name through two Old Testament passages. Okay, we're going through seven, and so the first two we we'll go through here. Uh, and the first one is quoting uh let's see, it's in verse uh verse 5. Uh, for to which of the angels did God say, did God ever say, You're my son, today I have begotten you? Uh, this is quoting Psalm 2, verse 7. And just to clarify on begetting, that word begotten, unless you speak like Shakespeare day and night, this isn't, we're not familiar with that word. In ancient Israel, in the Old Testament, when we read that the king of Israel was appointed to the throne to take power, that was called the day of his begetting, okay? So this, you are my son, today I have begotten you, today this is when I have appointed you king, that's that's what that means. So Psalm 2 that's been quoted here in, in verse 5, this was a famous messianic psalm, that word messianic, uh, There's a, it's a, a messianic text is a text that points forward to Jesus, that looks forward to the coming of the promised king. Jesus was promised, the Messiah was promised right through Israel's history and um, the, 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 the Old Testament is pointing forward to Jesus and, and this psalm is an example of that. And in this psalm, this was understood to be fulfilled in a future day by a descendant of David who'd be crowned king. And th- these words, you might remember, are recalled at Jesus' baptism. When a voice from heaven announced, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So son is Jesus' eternal name. And it was given, uh, it, was, it was exalted at his resurrection and his angel. And his ascension. To no angel has that ever been said. To no angel is that true. So the second Old Testament passage that the writer of Hebrews cites here is in 2 Samuel 7, 14. 2 Samuel 7, 14. And it's the second half of verse five here in Hebrews 1. Uh, or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Asking uh, who to what angel has that been said? I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Uh, So uh, this is quoting 2 Samuel 7. And this is from a passage about the covenant God made with David. Okay, And as part of that covenant, God says to David, I'm promising you an heir. One of yours will sit on the throne forever and ever. And initially... Um, that was that was fulfilled, and the, the immediate that was fulfilled soon after by Solomon, David's actual son, you know, his his um, blood son. Um, but that Solomon was just a foreshadowing; he was just like a, a trailer of the true and ultimate descendant of David's, which is Jesus, not angels. Jesus. So Jesus, Jesus is superior to the angels because he he always was God's son throughout all eternity. Um, and because two Old Testament uh, sonship prophecies were marvelously fulfilled by Jesus at his incarnation and through his resurrection and ascension, his name is son. Well, all that can be said of angels is that they are messengers. Son, Jesus has a superior name, the name of son. The second superiority is a superior honor. In verse 6, we get our third Old Testament passage cited. Uh, and again, asking the question, like which which angel has this been said of? And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, the firstborn meaning the highest in rank, highest in dignity, nothing to do with birth order. Again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And uh, this is citing Deuteronomy 32, 43. Um, this is uh, the author quoting uh, the final lines of what's known in the Old Testament as the Song of Moses. This was a victory song. And again, it's another messianic passage. It's another instance of the Old Testament looking forward to Jesus coming. Uh, The idea of angels worshiping Jesus might be familiar to you if you're familiar with the nativity scene. and That's the first case we read of angelic worship on earth. Uh, In Luke 2, in verse 13, suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. Jesus was undoubtedly worshiped by angels in eternity past. He was worshiped by angels during his 33 years on earth and he is worshiped in eternity present, a worship into which we get a dizzying glimpse. We need to flick forward to Revelation 5. Or just listen to the words. Revelation 5 from verse 11 says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Angels do a pretty good job of worshiping Jesus. That's their role. And that's all that they don't worship other angels, they worship only the Son. So if we're told that's their role, that maybe gives an insight into what we are to do as well. Jesus has a superior honor. He is worshiped by angels. Thirdly, uh, the the writer demonstrates the superiority of Christ to to, to angels by contrasting their statuses, okay? Angels are servants, but the Son is sovereign. Angels are servants, but the Son is sovereign. So from verse seven to in verse seven here, uh, the, the the passage quoted, the Old Testament passage quoted, is Psalm one hundred and four, verse four, and we read it in verse seven here in Hebrews one, Psalm one hundred and four, verse four. So in verse seven it says, of the angels he says he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Simply put, angels sometimes spectacularly inhabit fire and winds to do God's bidding, but in doing this, they are still servants. They aren't sovereign. Quickly on to passage five, where we read that Christ, the Son, is not a servant to angels, but is eternally sovereign. Here the writer quotes Psalm 45, Psalm 45, Verses 6 and 7, and it's phrased in language that could only be fulfilled by the ultimate son of David. So Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7, and we read it, we read this in Hebrews uh, 1, 8 to 9. I'm saying a lot of different texts. It's rich. Hopefully um, you're, you're picking up on all of them. Um, if you want to ask, I, I can give you the notes afterwards. So from verse 8 in Hebrews 1. But of the Son he says. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. His throne, his scepter, his anointing. These give us dimensions of Jesus' brilliant sovereignty. And again, this, this is biblical language, sometimes tricky to understand on first read. His throne is his rule, and that doesn't end. His scepter is his authority, and that's going to be executed in what? In righteousness uprightness, a righteousness that he himself established in becoming a sacrifice for our sins. And his, his, his being anointed with oil, the oil of joy, that refers to the heavenly joy that was his as sovereign king of kings. In the words of Hebrews 12, we'll come to, I don't know, I don't know how long we'll be in here, a long time. In Hebrews 12, um, we read, it was the joy set before him, And I find that really refreshing to read. If we just stop, take a moment and reflect on the fact that Jesus is glad. Isn't that good news? He is filled with a greater joy than than, than our companions, than us. He has more joy. He has so much joy and that overflows and and he, he brings us into that whenever we are in him. Jesus is glad. That's good news. So angels are creaturely servants that do his bidding. They sometimes take mad, wonderful forms, uh, 30 feet high, 300 feet high. Uh, it can be beyond our imagination what they look like. If you want an insight, um, C.S. Lewis has what's known as the Space Trilogy. Um, there's one book of that, Begins with P, if anyone knows it. If anyone knows it, there are some, he, C.S. Lewis in his imagination speaks of angels in powerful poetic ways that um, sound more like this than necessarily images from Google. All that to say that they are still servants. It is Jesus who is eternally enthroned, who has a scepter, who is anointed sovereign. The fourth proof, then, of Christ's superiority, the writer quotes Psalm 102. Psalm 102 from verse 25 to 27 through whom also he created the world. This is in verse 10 that we're looking. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe, Uh, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. You are the same, and your years will have no end. Isn't that an incredible thought? How many years, how many, how many wardrobes will you outlive? Jesus Christ will outlive and see, see and outlive many successive material universes, yet will himself remain eternal and unchanging. In contrast, then the angels, because they are created, they aren't the creator, they are temporal, changeable, they're dependent on Jesus. And again, if we think back to the potential context that this was written in, uh, or to any, any persecuted believer who hears this, to hear the words, these sure words about Christ, it must have been so refreshing that in, an, that in a changing world, that maybe if they're in a world that's falling apart, that they're being persecuted for beliefs, that their superior Christ doesn't change. He's the same yesterday. He's the same today and the same forever. Finally, in the verses 13 and 14, the clinching argument for Christ's superiority over angels is vocation. What they do, Christ rules, angels serve. Similar to that previous point I made in that angels' status are their servants, and, and Christ's status is as sovereign, their vocation, and from that, Christ rules, but angels serve, they are servants. And we get to our seventh Old Testament passage. This one is Psalm 110. Okay, Psalm 110. Did you know Psalm 110 is quoted in the New Testament more than any other Old Testament passage? 14 times. Probably pay attention to it if that's the case. 14 times. Jesus even quotes it himself and applied it to himself at his own trial. This psalm is about Jesus every time. Verse 13, And to which of the angels he ha- has he ever said? Hang on, before we go any further, just want to go back and clarify. Read that again. And to which of the angels has he ever said? Verse 8, But of the Son he says, of the angels he says. Time and time again, when the author is referring to the Old Testament, He's phrasing it in a way that shows he believes that what he is citing is the words of God. He's reading the Old Testament. He's interpreting the Old Testament despite the the, the person that, that was used to write these words. He knows it to be God's word. Please, please, please note the importance of that. Of the angels he says, of the son he says, and to which of the angels has he ever said? These are the words of God, church. It's important that we, we just remember that as we read through these things. Uh, back to the point here uh, in verse 13. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? What angels has he ever said that to? They, what's the answer? None, not one. Uh, in context, the, the Old Testament, um Referring to the enthronement of the king of Israel and the promise that this, this, this passage, this, um, this Psalm 110 is referring to the enthronement of the king of Israel and the promise that God would defeat his enemies on his behalf. Um, and here, it's, it's a messianic Psalm. Again, another passage, like I said, pointing to Jesus and ultimately having, being fulfilled in the true son of David, Jesus Christ. Uh, Christ's absolute rulership over all things, is dramatically seen here in that the custom for a defeated king was uh, to throw themselves, to prostrate themselves at the conqueror's feet, to kiss the conqueror's feet, and for the victor, excuse me, to put his feet on the captive's neck so that, uh, that he would become a footstool. It's quite graphic imagery that, we're, that washes over us. It doesn't make as much sense in excuse me, in, in this culture as it, as it would have to the time it was written. But the point is, this is the writer demonstrating that one day, every enemy will sit under Jesus' foot. One day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That includes the angels. Every angel, evil and good, will confess that. Because the Son is infinitely their superior. So the son's vocation is ruling. And the angel's vocation, in contrast, is serving. Not that that's bad. That's not a disgrace to serve. Remember, Christ is described as, as a suffering servant. But it's just, it's showing their different roles. Their job is to serve. And it's to, who are they serving? They're ministering spirit sent to serve. They are sent to those who are to inherit salvation. so just we'll, we'll talk about that again in a second, but we're wrapping this up. God's word issues a really clear call to us. Christ is superior to the angels because he has a superior name. His name is Son, Son of God. He has a superior honor. All the angels worship him. He has a superior status. He is the sovereign king. He has a superior existence. He is eternal and unchangeable and a superior status, a uh, vocation. He rules the universe. I convinced you? But there's more. Not only is he the sovereign cosmic ruler over all things, later in Hebrews we read this. Since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without Sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Christ's cosmic superiority is coupled with his priestly superiority. It's not that he is distant and aloof and sits reigning and ruling from a distance and is unbothered by your problems. He is also uh, superior as a priest. He bids us to come forward, come to us. He is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Hold those, we need to hold this all together. He's been tempted like we are, but he, hasn't, he is without sin. So that when we, when we establish his cosmic, his like universal superiority, the throne on which he sits, we can come close to that, because he is also our great high priest. That's such an encouragement. That's such a necessary uh, word to hear for us. to Believers who are maybe in a persecuted place, hearing that is a, a tonic to the soul. And there's something um, also really encouraging. Again, once we, put, we re- realize the role of angels, what they do, who they are, um, being grateful to God for how he uses them uh, as ministering spirits. All angels have been sent by him as ministering spirits, sent out to serve those, uh, sent out for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. So the the, the, the language, um, it's, it's emphatic. It's like they're being, being perpetually sent out one by one after another after another to serve. And this is clear in the scriptures again in Psalm 37, verse 4. An angel of the Lord encircles around his people and protects them. I haven't, I don't think, encountered an angel. I might have. I'm probably too blind to have seen it. Some of you may have. I don't know. But there's a, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you're a Christian, the Bible says as, you, as part of the church, God's angels, angelic hosts have protected us in ways that we don't know. Maybe we'll know in one day. In 2 Kings 6, Elisha and his servant are surrounded by Syrian armies. The servant is overwhelmed. He's terrified. He complains to Elisha. And Elisha is like, it's okay, relax. We are many. But the servant doesn't understand. He's like, what are you talking about? There's me and there's you. There's two of us and there's an army outside the door. Elisha's response isn't towards the servant, it's to God. And he prays, Lord, open his eyes. Trying to get it hoping that uh, what we see sometimes is that sometimes individuals are, are um god opens their eyes to see this kind of phenomenon maybe one day one of us may or may not i don't know they're concerned according to first corinthians 11 with the way we worship and one of the most encouraging things is i was reading through preparation for this text Peter, in one of his letters, says that angels long to look into the things concerning salvation. It sounds strange on the face of it, like they have, like this longing. I don't think it's not from a sense of dissatisfaction. But angels aren't part of God's salvation plan in the way that we. Uh, we were brought from death to life we were brought from from corruption and depravity and sin to be born again into life eternal that's that was that's god's plan for humanity for us that's that's not the angels aren't in that journey they get to see the journey unfold and they see how amazing it is how incredible it is that they look into it and they long they long to look into matters concerning salvation they can see a bigger picture than us. I think there's something really beautiful about that, something really encouraging to consider again the beauty of the salvation that we've received in Jesus Christ. There's countless ways angels serve God's people, but they are servants. Christ is God. And so as supernatural, um, as strange, as in- as encouraging, as strengthening as it all may be, as, our, as uplifting their ministry might be to us, they do God's bidding to serve us, to bring us into the fullness of our inheritance as the children of God. So I thank God for angels. I'm grateful for the way God uh, God works, and I, I, even though I don't know, it or know the half of it. I'll never pray to one. We don't pray to angels. That's not something we're encouraged to do. We don't seek them. We pray to God. We ask him, we ask God, God, if it's within your will, your purpose, to commission angels to guard our steps and protect us, keep us safe, we ask you to do that, that's, that's a fine prayer. And you might well. And we thank God for the ministry of the angels, but we worship Jesus alone, nobody else. I wanna invite you to stand as we close and ask the Holy Spirit maybe to... Uh, just to speak to us, to reveal to us anything new. Is there any area of Christ's superiority? Have we held anything back in that sense? Would you stand with me as we pray? Despite Jesus being Lord over all things, we have a tendency to hold things back. He's king of kings, he's lord of lords, but he's also our great high priest and he can mediate those, he he mediates, takes us from death to life. But are we letting him be lord of lords in every area of our life? I can't tell you if, if you are not. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, which is in us, to guide us, to convict us. What are we holding back? If you're here and you're not a Christian, Jesus is calling, he's inviting you into a life of beauty, a life of freedom and joy, a life into submission, yes, but that's not because you're not submitting somewhere else. We're all worshiping something, we're all giving our lives to something. Jesus is saying, my burden is easier, it's lighter, it's better. Holy Spirit, uh, come convict us. Show us what we're holding back, show us what we're withholding. Help us to recognize our unbelief. Father in heaven, we long to know with great intimacy the one for whom we've been created, our Lord Jesus. Forgive us for yielding any part of that which we think the world says will work better. Father, help us to expose expose it as the lie that it is. Help us to see and to know the greatness of your Son, of our Savior. Father, we thank you for what you're doing today, even through the angelic hosts. They are fulfilling your word, obeying your commands. We thank you for their ministry to us. Lord, we rejoice in that, but we trust in Jesus. We're grateful for your plans, your purposes. We're grateful for the angels, but we glorify the Son. Direct our hearts towards, towards your Son, Jesus creator of all, beginning uh, without beginning, without end, forever the same, loving, kind, beautiful, glorious, worthy of all our confidence and hope. Help us to invest every ounce of ment- mental, every ounce of physical energy, financial energy, emotional energy. Help us uh, to, to give it to your son and your son alone. In his name we pray, amen.